It's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. It's always soccer in Philadelphia, even in the middle of a global pandemic as we enter. I believe this is now week number six of no sports. Uh, We are approaching the summer. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I'm getting a little antsy. Uh, You know, it was okay for the first month, then for five weeks, and six weeks. But now I'm starting to get a little bit annoyed. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm starting to get a little bit annoyed. But you know what? The show must go on, as they say. And uh, we're going to talk about soccer, even when there is not soccer. And joining me on the program, a very uh, uh, somebody that we would call a friend of the program who has been on the show a couple times before is our friend Simon Allen out in California. Simon, what is going on? Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Kevin, for uh, inviting me on the show. I, I just want to just tell the audience out there, that I'm the one, I'm the guy that hasn't been doing any shows, so I'm so happy that you're doing because I'm actually listening to you a lot more regularly, and uh, um, I really appreciate when you when you go out and you do all these shows because uh, you are one of the only guys that I think um, really does it intelligently, really does it well, really does it with a little bit of entertainment factor, um, and uh, so I really you know think that what you do is, is great for Philadelphia and America and the podcasting universe. Um, so I want to give you that a, a bit of, uh, uh, you know, that compliment. Uh, on the flip side, everyone out there who's thinking they're going to do a podcast after the coronavirus is over because they started one right now, uh, it's not going to happen. So uh, don't waste your time. Well, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hopefully, I hope somebody, I hope people were able to get something out of the last couple that we did. You know, we tried to bring on former players and uh we had uh, dave leno the broadcaster on we did a crossover with the sons of ben last week so we're trying to keep it going anyway any way possible you know for as, for as much as, as as long as we can some kind of semblance of of normalcy here and try to keep it going until we're through this thing and uh you know it's a philadelphia union podcast it's a uh, major league soccer podcast so let's start there uh the latest bit of news that came out was that the season is postponed uh through june 8th uh, is the earliest date. That's the date that we have been given. Um, you know, they've talked about, they've suggested we could play MLS cup in December. We could push the season back a couple months or a month or two, I guess. Uh, they're talking about, uh, reducing pay for the players and trying to figure out how that's going to work. Uh, so let's do kind of like a best case scenario, worst case scenario thing here. I think that MLS is at least in a decent enough position that, you know, they only missed the first two weeks of the season. And if they picked up in the middle of the summer or in, uh, you know, August or September, they could try to stuff a bunch of games in, maybe play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, and try to fit in some semblance of a season here. I think they could at least do some kind of shortened season and get something in. I think that's my best-case scenario. What would you say is your best-case scenario? Well, my best-case my best scenario, well, best scenario is that, uh, let's be honest, this thing gets just – this coronavirus gets crushed, everything's back to normal, but we know that's not going to happen. For Major League Soccer, it's to get, it's to stop hemorrhaging money, right? It's essentially, every day that there's no soccer on TV, there's no soccer in your stadium, the franchises are losing money, Major League Soccer is losing money, and quite honestly, US, U.S. soccer is losing money, if you think about it, if you Google what, what they're up to lately. So the best thing to do is to get some sort of soccer on a screen. Now... You say that you want to play Monday, you know, Wednesday and Friday. I say just play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday, right? I say play two to three matches a week. And to and sort of to um, help out, all the teams that have these, you know, the two teams, like, you know, LA Galaxy 2, 
all those, all those two teams, just melt them into one team to where you can, you know, you can pick and choose, you know, players. If you're playing a cheesy team one week, you can take the, the two squad out. But for that, for this season, just make that all one big franchise and just get it done. Like, give us a massive shot of, like, heroin. Like, give us three matches a week. <laughs> you know? And let's, let's just get it back into our systems because, you know, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? But sometimes when you're not, you know, in your face every day, you kind of think about other things, you know what I mean? Like, you kind of think about, like, well, if there's no soccer, you know, like, people are reading more. People are doing things more. People are like, I've had people come to me and say, well, not come up to me. People tell me that, you know, now there's no soccer, I'm really enjoying my time with my wife. And I'm like, well, what were you doing before? I was just soccer 24-7. So there is a, 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 a sort of an inkling in my, sort of in my head that says, the longer we go without soccer, the more people are not going to be coming back to it. Well, the interesting thing to me, too, and this is kind of a hard topic to talk about because you need a lot of numbers and a lot of inside information here. But, you know, Major, major League Soccer compared to the other four, the quote-unquote four major sports in North America – you know, we don't make MLS doesn't make a ton of money off the TV deal, whereas the NHL, the NBA, and football and baseball do. So, you know, if you're talking about playing in empty stadiums, those leagues could do it and still make money uh, off of the broadcast deals that they have. But MLS makes a lot more, a higher percentage of its money off of ticket sales in the gate. You know, so I think it would be an interesting situation where if MLS was playing in empty stadiums, they don't have that lucrative broadcast deal. Um, and they'd be losing out on the gate. But, you know, if they canceled the season outright or they postponed it and all these other sports came back, then MLS would look like small beans. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's a prerogative here to kind of like uh, – prerogative's not the right word, but there's sort of like a responsibility here. I think if they want to be taken seriously with the big boys, that they should try to come back and give us soccer in any way, shape, or form. Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying here, and I, and I think I read an article today about – and I, I wasn't particularly fond of the writer. He said, if MLS wants to be in the same category as, you know, the big boys, they need to open up quickly, to which I responded like, we've, we've been through this. We've been trying to compare soccer and American soccer to the big boys. And quite honestly, um, can I cuss on the show now? Yeah, you've always been allowed to. Okay, fuck them. Why, why are you comparing us to the big boys? You know, we, we do whatever we want now. It's, we, we have the privilege and the right to do whatever we want. And, yes, you are absolutely right. So, so just backtracking, we don't need to go back, you know, on TV. We don't need to do it because if someone tomorrow comes out and says, no, this pandemic, pandemic is getting really bad, and if someone smart says, well, we're not going to start playing soccer for the sake of the players, then, no, we don't need to be with the big boys because – there is a core enough, uh, a big enough core of an audience to come back two years from now and sort of, yeah, we'll, we'll be back in the same place, but we'll start over again. Now, I don't want that to happen. I want MLS to come back, and I want it to come back, and I don't care if, it's, if they play in empty stadiums. Yeah, lose, you know what? We, how many, uh, let's, let's talk to the Philadelphia fans out there. Mm-hmm. How many times have you gone to a stadium and, you know, you brought a friend over who's not from Philadelphia and they looked at the, your team and went, who the hell are these people, right? There's, there's, been, no, there's been no stars. There's been, no, there's been nothing you know, to say that it's there's, there's been nothing there, but it's just been soccer. So let's say if MLS just gets rid of all their stars and whatever, and there's just soccer, 
people are gonna people are gonna still gonna watch. I don't particularly care if there's no one in the stadium as long as the players, the referees, the people around the, to, to essentially get this broadcast going are tested before the match like they would be tested for like you know uh, illegal drugs or something or you know there'd be drug tests you know, like that. So as long as the the 22 players are okay, the refs okay, the linesmen's okay, the ball boys are okay. The stadium doesn't have to be full for me to be enjoying the football. Hold that thought because I want to elaborate on that uh, one question down the line here. But first, I want to do kind of like an exercise because we always like to do an exercise on the program. Um, And we're kind of picking – I've kind of refrained from asking people to, like, give me their gut instinct or, like, to make a prediction because we're not scientists, we're not epidemiologists, we're not health experts. Um, But we can work off theoreticals and we can do – pick arbitrary dates and try to try to work off of that right so i'll give you like let's just say for the sake of the exercise i'll give you an arbitrary date of like september 1st let's say this we get everything up and running by september 1st and they're willing to push the mls cup back to december you know if we played you know three games a week we'll say just we'll pick like three games a week you know saturday wednesday saturday and we did that for september october and november so that's three games a week, four weeks a month. That's 12, 12, and 12. I mean, you could get, you could probably get like a, you know, you could get like 25 game, twenty-five to 28 games in there in three months. I think you'd probably kill people. Um, but to your idea of like, you know, merging the, the second teams and just making it one whole big team, FIFA suggested the idea of letting, allowing five substitutions per game to help with that you know, to help with fatigue and injuries and squad rotation and stuff like that. I mean, if we theoretically ended up in something where we started in September, we played for a couple months, but we crammed a bunch of games in, and then we played MLS Cup in December, would that be satisfactory? Well, uh, yes, absolutely. I mean, listen, you and I, well, I won't speak for you. I'm sitting here chomping my at the bit, biting all my teeth, you know, like all the nails out of my fingers from, with my teeth because I just can't watch soccer right now or new soccer. I've been going back and watching soccer from the 60s and 70s. I'm, I'm watching soccer that I've watched in the 80s live over again. So, yeah, there are going to be people who, like, who will say, I really don't care what kind of what soccer is on TV as long as it's brand new and it's my team playing. So if the Philadelphia Union are playing, does it really matter if there's seven people you don't really recognize on the squad because they're from the two team. Um, and, you know, it's an empty stadium. I don't think it should matter. And, it's, and, and for long-time fans of MLS, I'll speak of myself, when I, back in 96 when I go into the Rose Bowl and watch a bunch of guys I never heard of play and still was a fan, I don't think it would be that much of a stretch to say, okay, we can do this again, no problem, just for one year. So the logistics of playing uh, closed doors games, and this is what you started talking about earlier. Um, I want to read actually uh, just bits and pieces here from there's an AP article that kind of lays out what this would look like, right? Because I think everybody's just under the assumption it's like, oh, just get like the coach and the players and the referee out there and you're good, right? Well, I mean, it's ob- it's obviously a lot more than that. Uh, the question is like, what total number do we arrive at? So right, you got players and match officials. All right, so that's like 45 people right there. Um, you know, you have referee, two assistant referees. You got a fourth official, coaching staff, managers, assistants, fitness coach, physio, club doctor. Uh, there's a FIFA match delegate who's there. There's an anti-doping official. Uh, you know, broadcasters. How many journalists are you going to let in there, if any? 
um, you know, you got camera crews and stuff like that. So even just with those people, uh, we're talking a hundred, you know, seventy-five to a hundred to one twenty-five, depending on how many how many people you want to let in from from each of those. I mean, do you think that's feasible, or do you do you foresee any problems, or is there a cutoff point where you say, look, we're gonna limit the, the essential personnel to X, Y, and Z and try to try to keep it down to as low a number as possible. First off, we do not test the VAR people. I don't, I don't, you know, <laughs> just kidding. Just totally kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, you know, there's going to be sort of a, a budgetary crisis to where it's like, how many people can we test to, you know, get them into the stadium? And let's be honest, if, if you're working right now, uh, you are deemed an essential employee. Well, the essential employees to get soccer going are, you know, the team, the referees, the managers. Everyone else gets to sit at home, really. And that includes me and you, the journalists. We're gonna, sorry, you're going to watch it on TV. Um, there wasn't going to be an opportunity for you to interview people anyway after the game. So why go there to begin with? You can watch it much... You can know, watch it better on TV. Um, obviously, you're going to need... One or two here and there that we didn't talk about, maybe some secu- a security person, someone at the front, you know, telling people that you can't come in, which would obviously doesn't mean people security-wise, people want to come in and watch a, uh, a game. Yeah. So you have, it has to be, I mean, it, 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 it's not uh, reinventing the wheel. Look around you. We've deemed people in society as essential and non-essential when it comes to work. It'll be the same thing in soccer, you know? And let's be honest, um, having one play-by-play announcer will be better than having one play-by-play announcer and really one bad color commentator, right? I mean, we've always dreamt about getting rid of a, co- a color commentator that sucks. Here's your chance, MLS. you know it's interesting because the topic of uh journalists um you know we always at my website now crossing broad we always write about sports media that's one of our like uh topics that we always hit on and you know i i agree with you um and it sounds weird for me as a media member to say it but i don't think media members should be down there right now i don't think i don't think we're essential i don't think what we do is essential i mean it's nice that we're there to ask questions and hopefully people get something out of our, our writing and our, our podcasting and stuff like that. But I'm not so naive to think that what I do is essential. And I think in our, in our industry, there's a, there is a lack of self-awareness, I think of, uh, of, you know, the level of importance for which we are, but, you know, theoretically I could see a scenario where, look, if you have like 40 people say like the Sixers, 76ers beat, for example, has like 40 people down there on any night. Right. I mean, I could theoretically see something where you block it off into like groups of five and you say, okay, these five people are coming down on Tuesday. These five people are coming down on Friday. These five people are coming down on Sunday. And that way everybody gets a turn. But these five people all kind of sit like 10 feet apart from each other in the in the uh, interview room and do it that way. I don't know. Do you think that's a good idea or a dumb idea? I think I think that's probably one of the most dumb fucking ideas I've ever met. I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Here's why. Okay. Are you really willing to sit with six other people, possibly to contract the coronavirus, just so you can scoop a basketball player saying something utterly fucking stupid? Well, you're not near him, though. I mean, like we went down. I was down at the Sixers game. The uh, the but it was general, the like how how important is this particular this particular scoop that you're willing to sit with some other guy <laughs> who you know? Let's be honest, couldn't couldn't, couldn't give two flying rats asses about his health. He's down there. Yeah. I, you know, like if you give if you give you know journalists the opportunity to come, 
they will go. But it's, it's for their own good. They better, you better, it's just like, okay, no, no one. And by the way, everyone's doing things on Zoom. Hook it up with Zoom. Have 20 <laughs> journalists go on Zoom and, and, and ask the questions, you yeah, know? Yeah. Do it that way. Well, yeah, because you, you could put the coach, you know, just put him in front of a... You know, a yeah. screen afterwards and say, okay, uh, Kevin from Crossing Broad, you're going to ask the first question, and then Simon Allen's going to ask the second question or something, you know? And I've, I've been to hundreds of those um, you know, off-the-game, off-the-match, you know, sort of interviews where there's coaches in front of, a, you know, 100 people and whatever, or I shouldn't say 100, like 20 people. And it's, it's usually the, the, the same three journalists asking the same three questions. Right? <laughs> yeah, well, and, you're right. And, I mean, it's it's you would – the funny thing is that you could go back to – you know, when the NBA, just before the NBA shut down, there was a lot of a lot of people, a lot of my colleagues were bitching that we weren't allowed in the locker room. And I was like, look, it's like it's not. And I understand I understood what their complaint was because they were kind of of the thinking like, look, if they take away locker room access uh, under precautions for a global pandemic, they think that that's something that they would lose forever because they would just say, well, we're never we're never going to give you locker room access back. And like you can you can debate. We could sit here and debate the merits of that forever. But the point, I think, is that like. Yes, there is kind of a lack of self-awareness here. I think journalists tend to value their work more to be more important than the than the average fan. Um, but that was just kind of spitballing there. Yeah, this year, journalists. Let me tell you this right now: this wasn't the year you were going to win a Peabody or a Pulitzer. Stay at home, <laughs> all right? Believe me, you know, just you weren't going to miraculously do some great article about a second-rate soccer player or some guy getting an injury, and, you know, a Pulitzer would be handed to you because of it. Just not going to happen this year. So just, yeah, I my, definitely... my recommendation would be stay at home and let, you know, lower the curve a little bit. Then, you know, might be a resemblance of getting back to normal. But if any journalist was arguing about not getting access to a, to a locker room, I, would lit- I mean, I wouldn't laugh in their face because I wouldn't be that close to them, but I would really be figuratively laughing in their face. Don't get out of here, man. Don't take yourself so seriously. Yeah, well, or you, or if you're going to go down there, you better have the best question of all time, you know, because I wouldn't go down there to risk it just to say, what did you think about that fourth quarter? You know, like it would have to be something really good. But anyway. Um... Yeah. I just, just want to say that the, 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 the weirdest question, I've, not the weirdest, but like the, the question that infuriated me the most was there was this one, uh, when Chicago came to town, and I was standing next to uh, Sebastian uh, Sebastian uh, Schweinsteiger, and the guy who had the opportunity to talk to him, his question was, "How's the weather? Excuse me, how's the weather treating you?" <laughs> and I just went, "I just went genius. Yeah, that's. Yeah. But believe me, it's not that important. Let's just be safe. I, I say this with, with a little tongue in cheek, but a lot with love. Let's, you know, as journalists, let's just be safe. But the story, you know, it can wait." Six months, eight months, a year. Don't worry about it. Well, and if you're any good, the thing that we're... I'm kind of burying the lead here, but if you're any good at your job, uh, you, you can write a compelling recap just watching the game at home. You know, I mean, without the quotes, if you can analyze the game, if you know what you're talking about, if you can cut a video clip and do an illustration and say why this guy should have pressed here, this guy should have overlapped there, then that's just as good as Jim Curtin saying, yeah, well, we fought hard and then we lost, so, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, which, by the way, we've all done, so, you know. <laughs> um, okay, I could talk about that forever, but let's move okay. it on to the, to the next uh, topic here. So overseas, uh, you know, the situation's obviously different because they're playing on the FIFA calendar and they were on the back half of the schedule. And uh, so you see different leagues 
now doing different things. The Dutch league has been outright canceled. Nobody wins. Um, you have the French league, which was basically the prime minister, I guess, came out two days ago and said there's going to be no sports until September. So that has kind of just been de facto canceled as well. Uh, no champion, no promotion, no relegation. England, there hasn't really been anything that's happened yet. Um, your, your thoughts on, on those, I guess, those specific situations and what, and what you would do if you were uh, running the Premier League? Premier League. you this because this is something that has been I think it was actually the Premier League that discussed the idea first and then all the four major North American sports started talking about the feasibility of it and this was it was the idea of the central location you know to put all the teams in one like Olympic style campus and then they play on neutral fields and they just go back and forth from the field to the cafeteria to the hotel and then they go back to the field to the cafeteria to the hotel right it's it's yeah. it's inter- hey. it's interesting what's well, interesting to me because it's interesting to me because i think you know obviously the the uk is a much you know it's a much smaller country you know you can get from newcastle to london on a three-hour train ride versus you know getting every nhl team to to edmonton they'd all have to fly there you know so i don't i don't know number one if you like that that idea number two if it's even feasible i think i think if it was feasible it might be a good idea again i think it just comes down to um
played out and ended so Liverpool can win a title. That's all I can say right now. Again, the humanity is like, you know, if it doesn't get played out, then, you know, I don't want anyone to die. I don't, I don't, you know, I've had a relative of mine pass away through COVID-19. I've seen people, you know, who have died. I have, um, my sister-in-law is in the front lines in New York. Football is really secondary. So whatever is decided, I'm hoping everyone sort of airs in the, in the, on the side of, of humanity rather than a sport. You know what I mean? Well said. And let me ask you this then, all of that considered, you know, if, if we were, if everybody was uh, safe and taken care of and the Premier League decided that they're just going to end the season right now, but they're going to hand the title to Liverpool for like the first time in however long it's been. 30 years, I mean, how does that make you feel? Is it worth it? Yeah, why not? I mean, listen, I, I'm not one of those guys that says, well, there'll be an asterisk next to it. No, man. If, this was, if there was a war going on, they would, you know, they'd be like, yeah, if there was a war going on, we, need, you know, they, we gave it to them. You know, it, it doesn't make it any less of an accomplishment. It's just what, it is what it is. You know, now, if there's only two games being you know, if we only play three matches, yeah, that, yeah that's it. I, you know... And by the way, I want to sort of segue into this, Kevin. Sure, I've, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, who are not Liverpool fans, who are Liverpool haters, <laughs> that I've literally been rooting for the virus to keep going. You know? God, yeah. Sort of, and it, it really does come down to, a, you know, a very sort of misguided uh, sort of uh, thing about, you know, football. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if someone told me we could cure COVID-19 right now and Liverpool didn't get it, I'd probably say... Do it, cure it. You know what I mean? So, well, well, like the NHL, the NHL had something like seventeen games left or whatever, right? And I remember I wrote this story for Crossing Broad a couple weeks ago. The captain of the Los Angeles Kings, uh, Drew Doty, um, said, "I don't think we're going to play this year, and I don't think we should play this year." Well, like you know, if he had an opinion about the virus and it was like backed by medicine and science, or he felt concern about it, that's one thing. But um, the L.A. Kings fucking suck. They're like the worst team in the NHL. So, so of course he doesn't want to. <laughs> of course he doesn't want the, the season to continue. And of course the team that's like twentieth uh, in the League One table. Of course they don't want the season to continue as well because they would get relegated. But isn't it kind of funky how you're seeing this divide of opinion? It's like the teams that are crappy and want the season to be over because they they suck. Of course that's what they want. And of course all the Liverpool fans would love for it to continue. Liverpool going to win it anyway, right? I mean, so it's not it's not that much of a stretch. Uh, and the, the one the one thing I say is like if there's no champions, then next season Champions League is just Liverpool, right? No yeah. English team's going to go. So like the Dutch Eredivisie, which which who's going to Champions League next season or Champions League playoffs next season? I mean, you open up a a, a can of worms when you say we're going to end it here without crowning a champion. Because you have to crown a champion because next year there's a thing called Champions League. And the yeah. champions of your country need to go in it. If you don't have a champion, what do you do? Like put everyone's name in a hat and pick it out? You know, it doesn't work. Well, so, and I don't, I, don't like, I don't like that either because, uh, you know, I'm always a person who, like, the reason why I got into sports in the first place is just because I love watching high-level athleticism and athletic performance. And, you know, I respect the, the guys who play the game at the highest level. And, like... You know, when I see, like, for example, like the seasons that the Los Angeles Lakers or Liverpool 
or the Milwaukee Bucks are having this year, I feel like it's a cop-out to cancel this season just so we can start next season on time. Like, I, I'm of the mind that you try to push this back as long as you possibly can, crown a champion this year, and then just cut games off the beginning of next year. Because I don't like the idea of, like, these guys busted their ass this year and they played their butts off, and then they're they're going to come out of it with with nothing. Like, I understand the circumstances, of course. We all do. But, uh, I mean, for for those reasons, I would like to see people rewarded for the for their work and their effort. So would you, would you, as a fan, do the old, uh, like, uh, toss of a coin? So, like, for example, like the, um, let's say, I'll just give you an example. So Chelsea and Liverpool have to play, but they, obviously they can't play. Let's just go ahead and toss a coin. Heads, you win. Tails, you lose. Then we'll do that as a, as a 2 nil victory for the winner. You know what I would like to do? I would like to just, like, you know, theoretically, you know how they have these, these cups that are sometimes played at the beginning of the year? Uh, maybe if there's a scenario where they could do that to determine who goes to the Champions League or who goes to the Europa League, I don't know if that's a good idea either, but I just, anything other than a coin flip, I think. It's been done before. It was done in a World Cup to where the teams came off absolutely even to go to the next round. Yeah. And they had to flip a coin, so there is precedent on that. Yeah, I mean, the, I won't say the good thing about this being this position, but the thing about being in this position is you can come up with some funky rules just for one year and say, this is what we're going to do this time. This is, these are weird times. Yeah. Let's do a coin toss. Like, I, w- I, wasn't really, I wasn't joking when I said, and I should come back and play three or four matches a, a week, right? Bring back the shootout, right? Make everyone wear, you know, <laughs> retro yeah. jersey. Yeah, yeah. This is a topic that we talked about last week, but I'm kind of interested in getting your take on it. Um, I'm just like fascinated with this idea that when sports comes back, uh, it's going to be a unique situation because they're all going to be playing at the same time. Like theoret- right. theoretically, we could have the NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, and MLS all playing at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm kind of I'm kind of in like two minds here because number one. I'm kind of have this idea that people will be so starved for sports that they will literally watch, sit there and watch like 10 straight hours of five different sports 
But I can also see this situation where MLS kind of gets buried because MLS isn't isn't usually going up against all those sports at the same time. And that's one of the reasons why we don't play on the FIFA calendar is because we don't want to have the competition with the NFL. We don't want to be playing in the winter uh, at the height of the NBA and the NHL season. So I'm kind of like fascinated to see what it looks like when it comes back or if it's oversaturated. You're probably the only person that's actually brought that up. And rightly so, you should be concerned if you're a bigwig with Major League Soccer, right? The reason, again, like you said, the reason why the calendar is that way is so you don't have to compete with the American sports. Now, suddenly, you're all back. How, okay, how do you stand out from the American sports? How can you stand out against NFL, right? Yeah. Will the, will the NFL bring cheerleaders back? Maybe. So right there and then, you're going to, the glamour, the glitz, the cheesiness of NFL, you can't compete against that, right? How do you do it? And, and, and it goes back to what I said. You've got to make it the most weird, interesting season of all. You've got to make it to where people are scratching their heads going, why did MLS allow that? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and yeah. it's sort of hard. There was a league back in the day, and I forget, maybe your listeners will know. It was like an. It was like the. Actually, I think it was called the Extreme Indoor League, right? <laughs> okay. Do you even remember that? Or um, you're not talking about the MISL, are you? No, no, no. It was called the Extreme. Okay. <laughs> it was called the Extreme Indoor League. Okay. I think it was called. Right. Oh, okay. It went. It went on for one season, and when there was a tie, and, I, and again, I wasn't dreaming this, Kevin. <laughs> I really saw this on TV. I saw this on Fox. I, you know, this people say that I was hallucinating or something, but it really happened. And there was a tie. What the teams would select five players who were on the field from the opposition to stand in the goal. And one player would shoot the ball and if it hit the you know the, the, the players inside the you know in the in the goal, that was a point. <laughs> and the one match that I saw and again again I promise you, I wasn't dreaming this. The owner of the club just happened to be on the field, and the player selected him to go into the goal. Mm-hmm. And the owner turned his back and like mooned the player, and the player kicked the ball into his butt. Well, this comes, I think it's derived from an old schoolyard game that we used to play. We used to do this in high school. Where if you like messed up or you came in like last in the sprints or something like that, you'd have to stand in the goal and people would take turns like driving the ball at your ass as hard as they could. And okay. uh, I don't think you could get away from that, get away with that now in 2020 because you'd probably get sued or like you know it's not politically correct, correct to do that anymore. It's like I don't know if they I'm even play. Like... You and the listeners out there, <laughs> I watched that on American TV. These are professional soccer players kicking a ball at the owner's ass. I'm sorry, but. That, to me, if that's stuck in my brain, the, the game, the league, the players, I don't remember them. That I remember. So the idea that Major League Soccer has to, you know, jockey his way, its way around these big sports, the one way you do, the one where you get a little bit of traction, the one where you, get, you can come up for air and actually stay there, is by doing not as wacky, but wacky things like that. And, and again, again, trying to keep a little bit of dignity going, but still trying to make it a little bit more different than it was last year. I only have a couple more for you. This one was actually a reader question. Um, 
What, what do you make of all this? It seems like over the last year or two, um, there's been all this talk about Liga MX and MLS working together on stuff. And Don Garber even came out, I think, last year or this year and said, we would love to do like some kind of Mexican plus American MLS league together or whatever. Um, I, I got to be honest with you. Like that doesn't do anything for me. Like I have to, I'll, I'll be, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Like I really don't give a flying fuck about league MX. Like I care, right, right. I care about MLS and I want American soccer to get better. And of course I would love for us to be competitive with them. I would love for ML, for league MX to continue to grow and get better as well. But I don't like think about league MX. I don't, I don't see major league soccer success having to be tied to them at all. Oh man, you, you opened up a, a huge, huge, huge can of worms here when you're asking this question because early on, my, one of my first writing um, assignments, not even really my first, one of my first writing gigs, I wrote, a, and this was before Beckham showed up, said, um, you want to make MLS better, if it's, if it's a North American league, let's get a, let's get a Mexican team in here. And then a couple of years later, Chivas USA, I guess, showed up. Or it was, you know, the timeline's a bit fuzzy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we've kind of tried that before, haven't we? When we've invited a Mexican team over. And it was it was kind of a half-ass invitation. Right? But the elusive Mexican soccer fan in America probably is not going to be running you know, to come and support, you know, Club Leon if they just happen to be moving to, you know, St. Louis, mm-hmm. right? Just not going to happen. Or it's suddenly not going to say, suddenly, you know, if um, Philadelphia Union traveled to, to Guadalajara to play there on a, you know, on a, on a biannual basis, it's going to lose some of its luster. So that is, I think, uh, one of Don Garber's, um, Put it lightly, he's blowing smoke up uh, the Mexican league's bum at this point. Going, yeah, we really want to do it. Mm-hmm. We really want this to happen because you know we respect this, and it might be true. But I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to you very seriously for just a, an extra second here. For years, right? We we haven't been able to beat really consistently any Mexican club when it com- comes to Concacaf Champions League, right? Right. We certainly haven't been able to win many. Right. Right? We Now, if you can't beat them, buy their players. <laughs> done. We're doing it right now. Yeah. The best, yeah. best players in the league right now are Mexican. So why do we need to suddenly invite a Mexican team over when we just go out and just buy? Look, Carlos Vela here and so-and-so here and so-and-so here. So it's like, eventually, we're going we're gonna to get all of them here, and we're going to be able to beat the Mexican teams in CONCACAF Champions League. And then we'll focus on South America. So, I, so you know, sort of in a nutshell, and, 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 and I, I want to get your take on this, really. It's just, it's like when Alex, Sir Alex Ferguson comes over, would come over to America and go, yeah, American soccer is doing great. Give me your money. You know? <laughs> and I think Don Garber's playing a great diplomat and a great sort of politician when it comes to Liga MX. Well, and that's what he is, you know, and I think the I think the problem inevitably with all this and, the, you know, they talk about like the Super League idea in Europe too. like what if Bayern Munich and Lyon and PSG and Barcelona and Manchester United just went and formed their own league. Right. You know, well, I mean, that's great for those teams. But then, like, you know, if, over here, everybody would love to watch Tigres versus L.A. Galaxy 
but nobody would give half a shit for Philadelphia Union versus like Pumas, Pumas, you know, you're Puebla. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I don't, you know, I don't know what that would mean for the rest of the, I would rather MLS focus on like bringing these 1.0 teams that are kind of straggling behind New England revolution, for example, get Chicago fire rolling again. I would rather have them focus on problems in the league versus going out and doing this Mexican thing or whatever, but um, I'll just repeat. If you can't beat them, yeah. Buy. You wanna, yeah, you want to win Champions League? Yeah. Buy their players. Uh, uh, and, it, and it only took 20-plus years to figure it out, so. Jonathan Dos know. Santos, Carlos Vela, Alain Pulido, Chicharito. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. There you go. Um, look, look at the Mexican national team. See which guy's available. Pay him what he, what he wants. Bring him over. Simple. This is kind of random, but I'm interested in your thoughts on it for some reason. Uh, what do you make of the Newcastle sale, pending Newcastle sale? What do you mean? What, give, me, give me the example. Well, they're going to sell uh, to Middle Eastern investors, but it's like oh. the Saudi It's a, like the Saudi oh. government, I guess, is involved in it or whatever. So we're talking, we're talking about business now. Well, I mean, I just, I don't, I don't, something about like, Newcastle, it's funny to me. I think the reason I'm fascinated with Newcastle is because they have, they are very, they're very much a Philadelphia team. And okay. they, they've always, they've always had a, tell me, tell me what that means. They've had a passionate, hardcore fan base. They fill up that stadium all the time. The teams always underachieve, um, you know, but there's sort of like a blind loyalty no matter what. People are, were always annoyed with Mike Ashley, I guess, you know, back in the day. But um, something feels weird about them you know, being sold to like an oil shake in the Middle East. Like, I don't know. I like for Manchester City, I was just like, oh, okay, they're like a, I would understand why that would make sense. But Newcastle feels like this kind of blue collar, working class, working city kind of team. It just feels weird that like a, a Saudi, you know, investment group would get involved with them. Okay. So, so I'm going to ask you a question and it's going to, it's going to be maddening for your audience, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely maddening. Uh, so tomorrow, you, you hear news that this abs- this this prince, this Saudi prince, who's head of a sports mega conglomerate, and you know, total royalty, he's coming over to Subaru Park, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay? And he's looking at like investing in, in 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 Major League Soccer, which I wouldn't know why he would do that, but okay, let's say he's crazy, he wants to do it, right? He's talking to Jim Kerr and he says, "Listen, if you help me buy, if you help me buy it from the from from Keystone Sports, I am going to go ahead and move you guys from where you are now. I'm going to build state of the art stadium, a state of the art stadium, um, an absolute training center, an academy, and all this stuff. And you are going to have a lot of money for that DP spot. So you you want you want twenty million for." A, you know, for a, for a DP, I'll get it to you the, for the first year, right? And I want you to go ahead and change the Philadelphia Union logo, and I want to put, you know, something with the with a Saudi logo somewhere, okay? That's going to be a real sticking point. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to get you some of the best coaches to come and work in the academy. So we're going to bring it. And on top of that, we're going to bring all these teams from around the world to come play, um, come play exhibition matches with the Philadelphia Union. And by the time we're done, then people are not going to know 
who the New York Red Bulls are or DC United are, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, what would you say? Well, I think everybody would say yes, of course, just because they're starved for the Philadelphia Union to be rel- relevant at all. You know, I, I, of course, the desire to be relevant, not not only in Major League Soccer, but in this city in general, just to have a slice of the pie that the Eagles and the Phillies and the Flyers and the Sixers have. Of course, I think people would jump at that. They wouldn't feel good about it necessarily. But it's interesting, too, because I don't think I think people are also kind of like out on Jay Sugarman for the fact that he's just not he's like a New York City dude. So, you know, I think it would mean, I think it would have more of a, there'd be more of a moral dilemma there, I think, if it was like a Philadelphia, like local good family that owned the team and then sold out to like an oil shake or something like that. And then, you know, people would protest and say, well, you know, human rights violations and they they go down that whole road and give us that whole thing. But at the, okay. end, at the end of the day, you know, if the Philadelphia Union come out and win because uh, their $10 million DP scored three goals, people in Philadelphia forget all that, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, Right now, let's, let's, let's think about this. Before an Arab oil sheet came over and just literally threw obscene money at Manchester City, what were the odds that Manchester City would ever be winning anything other than, you know, you know <laughs> they weren't even in the, the conversation. No, right? no, yeah, yeah. So now imagine the same thing happens in the Philadelphia Union. So the idea that, you know, and I like what you said. It's like they're they're like a Philadelphia team, and I and I get it. Um, fans are always going to be like fans. You know, there's going to be always going to be hardcore fans to say no, no. This is you're going to be ruining the spirit of the club. You know, I mean, just look at the one you, you change the logo of a club. People get mad. You know, I totally get it. But <laughs> think about this. Imagine Philadelphia Union winning three MLS cups in a row. Is it you know or Matt you know or would you want that? And the answer is yes. Now, Newcastle United, think about this. What are the odds they're going to win a premiership ever? Never. Right. Not, like, not since only, Alan Shearer only was... In the, <laughs> only in the minds of their most hardcore fans will they say, yeah, we're going to win one next year. <laughs> yeah. So someone came up to you and said, here's, 10, here's $5 billion. And, you know, here it is. We're going to do all this stuff. You'd be nuts not to do it. No, you're right. You're right. And, uh, you know, to that point, I think that's why Union fans were giddy when Kevin Durant showed up in Chester because they were talking to him about being an investor, too. You know, just any just any interest at all in anything other than Jay Sugarman, I think people would would go for, of course. Um, okay, here's the last one for you. And this one's kind of random, but it's a topic that I thought was interesting. Um, ESPN or Bleacher Reporter, somebody did a graphic the other day where they had five guys on there and they said, you have a free kick that you're taking from 30 yards out. Which player is taking the free kick for you? And the choices, the choices were Juninho, uh, the Leon Juninho, not the LA Galaxy Juninho. Uh, <laughs> obviously, right? Um, David Beckham, Pier- oh. Pirlo, Mes- oh. Messi, and Ronaldinho. Um I said oh. from I said from thirty yards. If it's thirty yards, that Juninho absolutely, yeah, uh, because he would he would always he he specialized in hitting stuff dead on and long distance uh, knucklers and swerve and stuff like that. I said if you give me a free kick, uh, twenty five yards and in, uh, or I got to get it up and down over the wall or it's a narrow angle, I would take Beckham. What? Listen, man, what absolute crap are we reading right now? Because there's no sports on. I know, I know, but here's 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 the thing that's interesting to me. Tell 
tell me. Tell me. I mean, I'll, 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 I'll answer that question, but go ahead. You tell me. Because I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know who else I would put on the list? I would put Sinisa Mihailovich on the list, um, who, okay, yeah. who, who was probably before most people's time. Or most podcast listeners probably don't remember him. They probably know him as a manager in Italy now before a player. But the union center back, Jacob Glessness, hit that ridiculous free kick goal six weeks ago in the LA in the LAFC game. And um, I was trying to think off the top of my head, like how many center backs, how many center backs in soccer history uh, were good free kick takers? And like, I, I could only really think of three, like Ronald Koeman, uh, Barca, wow. Barcelona, yeah. right? You know, um, David Luiz as a center back. And um, you remember Alex when he played for Chelsea? Like he used to hit those bombs from from – uh, from distance, I couldn't think of any other center backs. I, I thought of, I found like a million, thought of a million like fullbacks off the top of my head who were good free kick takers. You know, like uh, Roberto Carlos and Leighton yeah. Leighton Baines and stuff like that. But can you think of any other center backs that were good free kick takers? No, but when you said Kuman, I'm like that would be probably my choice of one of the best, if not the best, center backs of the '90s. Would that be? Too controversial to say, so yeah? No, yeah, no. I mean, and it was funny, too, because he was kind of like, I think that was back in the day when they were still playing with sweepers. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, I, listen, if you want to see a really well-taken, no, it wasn't even, I don't think it was a free, I don't think it was a free kick, but it was in, in the 82 World Cup, a dare for Brazil, but was that, I don't think that, was that a, I don't know if that was a free kick, or he actually had, did a bit of a run-up. Mm. Um, well, Zico, Zico was a good free kick taker too. Zico was a good free kick taker. I would, I would say, if I, if this was, if this was me trying to get ratings, I'd pick David Beckham. Why would you take? Why would you take Beckham over Juninho? I would, I would be the guy. Let, let's just put it this way: ESPN is really running out of things to talk about. Yeah. But if it was, if it was like my my photograph, and then underneath it would be the blurb, like which one? Who, who would you pick? I would pick David Beckham just so I'd get a, a lot more hits and a lot more responses. <laughs> well, you have to understand that when you're a lifelong center back and defensive midfielder like I am and a guy like Jacob Glessness goes yeah. up and hits a free kick like that, when you kind of feel like a, a weird like pride for your position because we never really get a lot of credit. Like Everybody will go out and say, oh, uh, you know, Alessandro Nesta was a great center back. Yeah. Well, we never scored goals or do like flashy things. So there was just like a moment of weird joy there for me while I was like, wow, a center back is taking like all the spotlight. This is an amazing thing to see, you know? Who do you think is the best center back in the world right now? I mean, obviously they're playing FIFA on, on PlayStation, but who do you think is the best center back right now? Well, I mean, it's got to be Van Dyke. And oh, yeah. uh, I, I mean, I study his game because I like to. Like I like to look at when when I play sports, and I don't know if if you are this way or if any of the listeners are the same way. But when I when I watch sports, I like to watch the position that I played growing up, like in high school or even in like rec league or stuff like that. So in when I watch soccer, I watch the center backs a lot, and uh, in basketball, I watch like like power forwards, rebounders, like people who could are terrible at shooting, like I was, but um, are good defenders as well. And when I watch Van Dyke play. Um, he just he just has this like I don't know how to describe it. It's like a very calm like presence. Like he he never sort of like gets I don't know how to describe it. Like he always looks like he's very in control of the yeah. game and he just kind of he he reads the game very well and he never looks like um 
it, it never really looks like the moment is too big for him. Like he's just very smooth and he kind of knows where he needs to be and he knows what he wants to do, but he never really looks flustered. I'll, I'll take it a step further because I absolutely agree with you. Um, if, if you ever watch a Bruce Lee film, like, you know, when he's acting, you, you watch the guy's eyes and they, just, they look like they're just like these normal sort of eyes. And then when he like switches it on to become like the dragon, you know, like a, the Kung Fu guy, <laughs> you see it, it becomes like this dark, ominous, it's almost like he's gone to another level that we don't quite know about. Like he's looking at things yeah. in a different sort of way that we will never understand you know, being normal, non-Kung Fu people. You know what it's funny? You know what I would say about Van Dyke? Van Dyke. Van Dyke. When the, when the whistle blows, he's, he goes from this, almost like back into the normal world. And then when the whistle blows to play, you know, <laughs> the, games, the, the, the games to start, he goes into this sort of like, you know, mystical realm that we just can't see. <laughs> no, it's good. And you know what another way is for me to describe it? Like, it, it, like on a... On, any normal sequence that you watch in a Liverpool game, yeah. it looks to me like he's always operating in like second gear. And I'm sitting, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking like, shit, like if he ever had to kick it up into like third or fourth gear, yeah, yeah. like what would that look like? You know, because it's just, he's, he's so, he's just a, such a calm presence back there that it always makes you look like, it, it looks like he's not working as hard as he probably is, yeah. you know, and that's a talent in and of itself because when you're a center back, you know, you have to pace yourself because you're getting fresh substitutes with fresh legs who are coming on. You center backs probably do more sprinting backwards than a lot of other positions on the field too. So you got to kind of save yourself. But um, yeah, I mean, he's fun to watch. He's fun to watch. But thank you for entertaining my center back free kick topic. Yeah. Well, and seventy five million pounds. You, you know, you better be good. Adair, <laughs> go Google Adair's eighty two World Cup shot. If okay. you can tell me. That was a free kick, or did he have like a three-step run to it? But it literally, it was from the halfway line. And it was just some, it was, and I remember seeing it live when I was a kid. And it, it till this very day, sort of, it kind of blows my mind. People saw that Adair and that one shot he made in, in Spain. But anyway. Simon, I'm out of topics. Is there anything that you wanted to talk about? I, I really want to talk about something that, um, two things, sorry. First thing is, like, I want to be sort of very, sort of, uh, very honest and say, I have, I'm, I'm a guy that's never been depressed. I've never battled, you know, melancholia. I've never, you know, I've always been this guy throughout my life that it's been just fun time. I've, again, I've, sadness is not really around. Um, for the first time in my life, I have been really depressed in isolation. No football, because if there's no football, then who is, you know, the Dalai Lama of soccer? If there's no soccer, who is the Dalai Lama of soccer? <laughs> you know, it's really weird. And I'm talking about it, but it's, and, and I'm joking, but it's been really very difficult uh, being in isolation, being, you know, not going to work. You know, my, you know, I was play-by-play -play announcing for, you know, two different leagues and doing things with MLS. And so it's very been very difficult, and, and it's hit me that, if someone like me who's, who in life has never really been depressed, never been sad, always had a great outlook on life, but there are other people out there in, in, in this time, right now as we speak, that are depressed, that are thinking some really weird thoughts, that are, you know, are unhappy. And I really want your listeners out there to, to 
make one, do one thing for me, right? And just open up your phone book or go down the list on your phone and call someone that you haven't called in maybe three months or two months or six months or a year and ask them how they're doing, all right? Because it's, there are people out there that I just can't, are not handling this well. And if you, get, if you give them a call and say, how are you doing? And they hear a voice, you know, a, a friendly voice, it's going to change their attitude a bit. So that's what, number one, that's what I want, you, I want your listeners to do for me. I've never asked anyone to do anything for me when I've been on a show, but this is one of the things I want you to do. <laughs> no, it's a fair request. I understand 100%. And, uh, yeah, listen, I mean, you, you are certainly not the only person feeling that way right now, and I think it's important that people kind of uh, – kind of admit that they're feeling a certain way as well. I think we all are, you know, and I try to take a step back and say, look, I feel fortunate that I'm working. My wife is working. Uh, our baby's okay and whatnot, but it has been mentally very challenging for, for everybody out there, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's a great idea. I, I think I've heard a lot of people saying things like they've, they've gone back into their phone or they've been Skyping or zooming with people talking to, uh, people they haven't seen in a long time. I hopped on PlayStation with like three high school friends and we were just bullshit and playing games the other night. So we're all trying uh, different ways to, to get through it. But yeah, we're all here for one another. That's why we, we are the, uh, the always soccer in Philadelphia community, yeah. Philadelphia okay. union community. We did a drunk, uh, a drunk zoom last Friday and there's another one coming up. A drunk zoom. Number, number one lesson I learned many years ago doing the podcast is, don't do anything drunk. <laughs> I remember we, we, we had a bet. Uh, this was back in 2006 doing the podcast. Like, you know what? If we get hammered, we'll, we'll be looser. You know? And, the, and people who listen will like, totally appreciate the fact that we're not stuffy. And, and Simon, you're really stuffy, man. You're a stuffy English guy, so you need to loosen up a bit. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And you know, we got hammered, and then we published the, the, the podcast. And, and then, I mean, two hours goes by, I get an email like, you guys sound like shit. Yeah, <laughs> like, it, goes off, it goes off the rails very quickly, doesn't it? <laughs> it's not fun at all. And I'm like, oh, man. And luckily, that, that, that particular podcast has been lost in the sands of time. But um, I know you and I usually talk and we go over, but give me one more thing here, Kevin. Yeah, of course. Yeah. something in the soccer media world now that everyone's zooming and thinking it's entertainment have you stepped back and seen something that has been really sort of eye-opening uh are you asking for am i supposed to guess at what you're you're hinting at here or is this a well, open... yes and no like when like for example right now like you know the the, the shows on tv soccer shows on tv are pretty much Zoom shows, you know, and people, mm -hmm. you know, like that, have, like, especially the sports shows. Have you noticed something about these shows, specifically, you know, content-wise, that is a bit kind of, I mean, it might give you hope, but then again, it just sort of goes, oh, my goodness, what's going on? I don't know. It seems like people are kind of really stretching for well, reaching so, for content, just pulling stuff out of their ass. It, so as soon as the coronavirus hit, I got a request every other day to come on a Zoom show. Hmm. Brand new, by the way. Guys who've never done anything in their lives, they've got all the time in the world, right? And every other day from there, 
I've had requests, do you want to write for me? Do you want to write? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a bit over that right now. I don't want to sound like a snob, but I've been doing this a long time to where I'm not really going to be going to get any more fans than I need. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You're not going to bring me any more fans. I'm going to bring you, you know, there's the business aspect of it, right? And then I realized that when you watch these Zoom shows on, on ESPN and Fox and whatever, you know what? doesn't matter who you are. You could be the biggest, you know, pundit on TV. You sound exactly the same. It's just the same guy that just picked up a, you know, uh, you know, a, a webcam and started, you know, recording. Yeah, yeah. There is, it is the, the COVID, you know, pandemic lockdown is the great equalizer. It's a very good way to put it, yeah, and I, I would add to that by saying that I think that you are, how do I, how do I say this without being insensitive or without being an asshole? But I think what I would say is that you are learning, at least in the media world, who's good at their job and who's not good at their job. And what I mean, right. what, what I mean by that is like you, because some people are very creative and can find things to write about and are very enterprising or whatever, and then you, you see other people who are like, slaves to quote sheets and like AP style and doing a sp very structured and rigid kind of thing. And so I think that you're seeing that there's a, a lack of flexibility uh, with a lot of traditional media people who are kind of struggling right now. Whereas like, you know, if you are flexible and creative and, and willing to try new things and open up yourself to different platforms and different things, I think those people are adapting pr pretty well right now and other people aren't, you know, so it's, it, it is eye opening. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. When I see people that I've seen on TV, and it's like, no man, this guy's just not that good. <laughs> well, it's an opportunity, you know, and it's it's weird. I, I, you know, one of the things I think that's been interesting for me, uh, we've been writing a lot uh, on the website about you know how media companies have been making a lot of layoffs and furloughs and cuts and things like that. And uh, you know, I think one of the sad things, it's you know, sad but true, I guess, is that you know they're they're using the coronavirus as kind of like cover. Uh, yeah. to make a lot of these these cuts and reductions that were already planned. And, no, wait, wait, wait. For what, 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 what are they covering? Well, it's like, well, you know, for example, there's they let go of a radio host in Philadelphia who had been here for like 35 years, you know, and he was approaching retirement and they wanted him to take a buyout and they had been asking him to do it over and over and over again. And then, like, they finally got him to do it during coronavirus because there was no work to do anyway, you know? Right. So I think they're using this as an opportunity to kind of shuffle things around you know, make some moves that were kind of in the plans already. And it's hard for them to do it specifically in Philadelphia. I don't know how California is, but Philadelphia is a very... They, they, they literally got rid of the number one uh, radio guy, yeah. right? Yeah, And Because, you know, but let, I'll be honest, it, it had gone downhill. But let me, let me just talk about this for a second, okay? Yeah. Don't, don't put this on the coronavirus pandemic, okay? If you... And... I'm gonna, uh, this, is, this is essentially America in a nutshell, and I'm not being political here, but do you remember the original VJs from MTV? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kurt Loder and Kennedy and all them? Yeah. No, that wasn't the original VJ, my friend. They weren't the original VJs? It was like, was like Martha Quinn and, you know, oh, yeah. oh, five yeah, or six yeah. you know, guys and gals that were the original VJs, right? They came on in 82, 83, yeah, yeah. and they rocked it. And they told America, like you and I tell America what's cool about soccer and whatever. They told America what's cool about music. Hey, man, Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates. Those are the <laughs> coolest guys. Yeah. And suddenly they were the coolest guys, right? Yeah. So 
So for five, six, seven years, right? These guys were the shit. These guys were the the pop icons, and and so what happened was, smart um, producers were like, you know what? They're good. We just need a change. You know? and they got fired. And these VJs got fired because it's time for a change. They, they weren't replaced by anyone different or better or younger or older. It just, it was time for a change. This coronavirus pandemic has essentially given a little, a people a, a kind of a, a push towards, you know what? It's time for some people to move down the bench. Mm-hmm. It's time for new people, not young people, not old people, not better people, just new people to come in and take that spot because people want to see new things. And I think that's it. So someone getting fired because they're close to retirement, guess what? It, it, you were going to get fired anyway. You were going to be replaced anyway. So I, I, I you use that MTV VJ sort of story. as like those people that were replaced, they weren't any better. They were just new. And that's, I think, what's going to happen when the coronavirus pandemic is kind of over. They're going to be like, they're going to look, people are going to look around and go, that writer has been doing it for 30 years. It's just time to bring someone in new. Bring that person in. Get rid of that guy. That pundit, get rid of him. We're going to, that, that reporter, let's get rid of him. Let's put someone in. And it's not because they were bad. It's just because it's time. And I think uh, we should look at it that way. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what the media landscape looks like when we when we come out of this whole thing. You know, I'm interested to see if some people that were furloughed come back. You know, some of these people that were let go or rehired. I doubt it. Doubt uh, it yeah. yeah, but you know, interesting, uh, interesting be, times for all of us. Just you know? be in the category of new. Just be the guy that's new, not yeah. the guy that they're sick of. That's always sort of the advice I'll give everyone. Just be the guy they bring in, not the guy they get out. You know, eventually you'll be the person they let go. Right now, be the guy they bring in. Simon, it's always good having you on the program, my man. I appreciate it. I I sort of said something really absolutely Dalai Lama-like, and then I ended it with, like, something really mean and (laughs) business-like. No, no, this is, uh, I I pride this podcast on being very very open and very honest in our willingness to talk about any variety of topics. Thank you. Listen, everyone out there, Philadelphia area, East Coast, all the way to the West Coast, across the world, whoever's listening right now. Um, first off, no, you've got a good guy in, in, in Kevin. He is one of the only guys that I want to be on his show more, more often. Uh, but, but, but more importantly, I want everyone out there to be really safe. This is not a hoax. This is not a joke. This is a real thing. And I don't want to lose anyone. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and hear that someone that played soccer or that was in the family was in, you know, that it was a soccer person is not here anymore. I want everyone to come out of this safe. This is a big deal. Um, losing people is not a joke. It's, you shouldn't take it lightly. So just at the sound of my voice, just be careful. Do the social distancing. Do the, you know, you know, wash your hands. Do all the stuff that the CDC is telling you. Even if you think it's not necessary, just do it. Because what I want to do next year is, is to be in Philadelphia I want to be cheering on with all the fans of the union. I want to be at the stadiums like nothing ever happened, but I need everyone to be there and healthy and alive. Amen, my friend. Well said. Simon Allen, follow him on, follow him on Twitter, at Dalai Lama Soccer, a friend of the program. It's always good to have you on, my man, and uh, stay safe out there, and we will do the same. 
All right, we're going to get to your questions and comments and concerns, uh, but first a note about the custom jerseys that Robbie at Icarus FC made up. I think they look fantastic. Hopefully you saw them on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, but I wanted to put them out there, get a feel, or see how many people were uh, were interested in maybe buying and it seemed like we had a, a had a um a really good response to that. So I'm talking to Robbie. We're just kind of running the numbers right now, trying to figure out the best way to to do orders and shipping and and get everything organized. And then hopefully, uh, sooner rather than later, we can have them available um, for purchase online. And like I said a couple podcasts ago, whatever money we make, we're going to just take a hundred percent of the money that we make and we'll take like half of it and we'll give it to Starfinder and we'll take half of it and give it to Kensington. So if everybody's down. Um, I'll get with Robbie and we'll just finish up the logistics of that. And hopefully I'll have a, a, an order, uh, form an order link, uh, for everybody, hopefully, uh, sooner rather than later. Okay. Uh, a couple of questions and comments here from, uh, Richard McGovern, who was a guest on a, the podcast a couple, uh, a couple months ago. He said, which acquisition made less sense, Jalen Hurts or Raiz Emboli? Well, it's actually it's actually a very good question. I was hope I was hoping to avoid the Jalen Hurts topic entirely on Always Soccer, but uh, <laughs> God, the Raiz and Bully's selection is worse than the uh, than the Jalen Hurts because not o- not only did the uh, I think we'd all agree that backup quarterback is more important than backup goalkeeper in soccer, and not only did the Union have Zach McMath at the time, but they also had rookie Andre Blake, and then they went and got Raiz on top of him. It was the most ridiculous. It was the most ridiculous thing. I mean, and it's even more ridiculous now when you look back at it, isn't it? Like that move has not really. Like sometimes these things like wane, and you're sitting here thinking like, oh, okay, you know, after time you'd think it's not as it's not as bad as it seemed at the time. But I think that actually seems worse. You know, and that resulted in Nick giving us the three. We've got three of the best goalkeepers in the league comment even though only one of them is on the field at at once you know <laughs> where it's like whereas Jalen Hurts like yeah of course I think everybody knew they needed a backup for Carson Wentz I think the problem that that me and most people had with the Jalen Hurts thing was that like okay you can do that with a veteran or in the third or the fourth or fifth round like why are you using the second round draft pick on a, a backup quarterback that was the gripe that I had and that other people had um Ezra says thanks for popping on the Zoom call and uh, bringing in Tannenwald. That was a thrill. Yeah, that was fun. Um, some listeners, some Union fans, some uh, some people from the Union community at large have been doing these uh, these uh, Zoom happy hours on Friday nights. So we popped in last week and uh, bullshitted for a little bit, and that was fun. Uh, what has been the most surprising moment from a Union player? Uh, unexpected, i.e., unexpected, given the player. Unexpected. What's a surprising or unexpected moment? Um. Oh, I got a good one for you. This is a good one. So you remember when they went down to uh, Costa Rica in 2012? Uh, this was Peter's last year before he got fired, and they played that team. Uh, Belen, Belen was the name of the team, and Keon Daniel got in a fight. The, t- the benches cleared and like there was just a huge brawl that took place on the field. Brian Carroll was in the middle of that and he threw like a kick and a punch at somebody. 
<laughs> see him come flying in with like a raised like boot trying to like clobber some guy which told me everything i needed to know about that fight because if brian carroll who's like the most relaxed dude on the planet i think he's now like a financial advisor or something like that uh he's the most chill like respected dude on the planet to see him pissed off like that that tells me that it must have been something it must have been something bad you know because i've never seen i've never seen him do anything like that ever before uh, Joe says you should run a listener pool where we donate money and pick a day and time uh, for the first union home game post COVID winner gets a personalized Jersey. Yeah, that's a good idea. Well, maybe we could set up something like that. Maybe, maybe let me take a, uh, take a look at that and see what I can do. Um, he also says, what if MLS scraps the regular season and just runs a home and away cup knockout, uh, a knockout cup format for 2020. Um, yeah, you know, they've been talking about these like alternate kind of things you know, if they can't travel, you know, what if we just do regional things like the revs and the red bulls and New York city and Philly and DC all play each other. I don't know. Maybe that's something I just don't really see kind of like what the, I don't really know what the end goal of that is. You know, I think if you, if you're not really in a situation where you can do something that crowns a champion, uh, it'd be nice to have soccer just for the sake of soccer. But I don't, I, if we're not playing towards something, I'm not really sure. Like, I feel like there's got to be a purpose to it. Like, you could do some kind of, like, Atlantic Cup or, like, Cascadia Cup or, or like, replicate that and make it official, but I don't really know. I don't know. We're just handing out a regional trophy. You know, do, like, a short, like, round-robin thing where you play, like, maybe 10 games or, you know, you play D.C. home and away, you play New York home and away and play, like, 12 games or something like that, and then you get a regional trophy. I'm not sure if that's a good idea or not, but... um, uh, Brett says, uh, would you watch matches in an empty stadium... Uh, at least for us soccer writers who do not have the wherewithal to travel, it would not be much different than live tweeting and recapping a match from our couches. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Like I, to Simon and I touched on this. I, I think, you know, if, if all the media members are sitting at home, you know, we're just watching a game, same game as everybody else is. And, uh, well, I mean, we always are. I mean, it's not like we have it. We're, sitting in the press box but it's not like we have any more we're, we're all watching the same thing everybody else is so you know hopefully people would uh yeah you wouldn't you wouldn't crutch and write off of quotes specifically you know it'd be like hey here's this video clip of ray gaddis doing this or this guy you know pressing smartly or this guy you know shooting the ball with his left foot in a tight angle you know it, it, you kind of see uh you know a little bit more of the analysis side of things versus like just straight quote stories but um yeah, I mean, I guess it wouldn't change anything for for the writers, you know, um, just the post-game access. Um, there's some good, like, topics here for the future. I, the question was, I, I wasn't just soliciting for questions. It was, like, topics for um, for the podcast, some of them which I used. Uh, how about a segment, What is Kevin Drinking?, since that's pretty much all we're doing now anyway. Yeah, so we went down and we got some stuff from the Larimer. Got some uh, four packs from them. Um, Matt and Darren down there have been doing a, a really good job, honestly, of like they're doing those uh, drop offs where they've been uh, kind of hitting different counties in the area on different days of the week. Like, you know, on a Tuesday, they'll they'll do deliveries in Philly. You know, on a Wednesday, they'll do deliveries in Delco. Uh, they have some more offerings down there. They're doing the Aston Abbey, um, like triple Belgian that used to be at the, at the other brewery. Um, so they've been pretty active and shout, shout out, honestly, thank you to everybody who went down and, and bought stuff from them or dropped by and picked up a uh, beer from them or supported them, you know, cause they've, 
they were gracious hosts uh, last year when we did the live podcast. And uh, we were going to do the live podcast there for the home opener, which was canceled. So um, I feel like we have a good relationship with those guys. And it's good to see that everybody's kind of supporting uh, supporting them and other local businesses at this time. Um, JC Burner, is there a summer transfer market? If so, what does it look like? Yeah, I mean, you see the rumors and stuff. You know, you see the British papers are doing the same kind of stories and whatnot. Um, you know, it, it means more to them. Uh, because they've been able to analyze more of their season. You know, they've played 27, 28 games. So I think Liverpool and Aston Villa and Burnley know what they need versus, you know, the Union playing two games. And it's like, oh, shit, well, you know, how do you justify adding or subtracting anybody at that time? You can't really make that evaluation. So I think uh, summer transfer window, unless there's, uh, you know, un- unless there's an advantage here. Un- th- th- here's the thing, like, the one way that you can kind of separate yourself and, and get some kind of, uh, you know, like like plus here is if MLS starts up and starts playing again and the European leagues are a little bit more conservative about opening up again uh, and people are itching to play, maybe there's an opportunity here to pull in some summer transfers that otherwise wouldn't come to MLS. You know, like if a guy's been sitting on his butt for forever – and they're in the off season anyway, or it's like France where they say we're not going to play anything until September at the very earliest. Maybe David Beckham slides in there and says, well, why don't you come play for Miami FC? You know what I mean? Like I think there might be an opportunity there. That's actually something worth worth exploring a little bit more or worth keeping an eye on for sure. Uh, Dr. Strange Dupe says, if there was one Union away game you could go to and where, what would it be and why? Yeah, you know, probably the West Coast. You know, so when I was writing about the team, we did uh, the, we did all the regional road trips. You know, we did Toronto, Montreal, New York, New England, the other New York, uh, D.C. And actually, Dave, uh, Dave, and I were at the L.A. game in 2012. We both randomly ended up out there. We didn't we didn't travel together, but he was out there uh, to see family, and I was actually I burned a free plane ticket I had to just go drive the Pacific Coast Highway and take a couple of days off. And then ended up at the, uh, the Galaxy game in 2012. I don't know if you guys remember, but that was the game where Jack Mack scored. And uh, then Mike Farfan had the little like far post slow roller, and they won 2-1 to one in L.A. in 2012, so that was fun. Probably like Portland Portland or Seattle, you know, because I've never been up to the Pacific Northwest, and that's where uh, yeah, you got the Cascadia clubs with the big fan bases and stuff like that. It would be cool to see that in person for sure. Um, Derek says, have you been following the shameful approach from the Huns? Uh, 10 in a row will kill them for good. The shameful approach. from Oh, oh, oh okay. So Derek is a uh, Celtic uh, fan in Scotland and they refer to, uh, Rangers, I believe as Huns or like other non Celtic fans of other non Celtic teams. I think they just call them the Huns, right? And Celtics won like eight or nine titles in a row or something like that. But Rangers, I can't remember the story off the top of my head, but I was reading it the other day. Rangers and maybe some other teams or something filed some kind of injunction with the Scottish League or there's some kind of legal bullshit going on here or something like that. It's interesting, too, because in the Netherlands, I think after they decided to cancel the season and not give the title to anybody, I think there was similar legal action that was filed. Um, you know, cause it's weird cause you have some teams that are like 13 or 14 points clear at the top of the second table who are going to be promoted. And now it's nothing for them. And you have to think about it too. Like that's a huge turning point 
in the the fortunes of a franchise uh, and for the owners as well. You're talking about more money, higher profile, playing in a higher division, chance to sign, uh, you know, more high profile players. You know, if like uh, a team that was top of the championship this year doesn't get promoted because of coronavirus and they don't have as good a season next year, they finish like sixth or seventh or something like that, that window's closed forever. You know, like when do they you know, how long do they have to wait before fighting for promotion again? You know, it's a huge thing when you think about it. I and mean, you got like these teams, I remember reading another story too about like Fleetwood in uh, England with a town that only has like 30,000 people or something like that. You know, so they, they don't have like, you know, Manchester United and Liverpool and whatever can lean on, you know, their billions of dollars to pay their players and, um, you know, keep the staff paid and keep the, the grass green and, and cut and mowed and whatever. But, you know, these small teams too, I mean, they don't have that liquid to fall back on. So it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens at the lowest like divisions, you know, um, Joe says, does the financial strain from the shutdown on both the union and I star, uh, hasten a Sugarman, uh, hasten Sugarman bringing in a Durant like investor. Yeah, I mean it's interesting. I'm not sure. I think iStar stock was up to like nine dollars the last time I looked. You know, they dipped just like everybody else did when this thing happened, and then it went back up. But uh, this this is the thing too, where you know, single entity helps out actually because you know with revenue sharing and you know a couple of billionaire NFL owners in it. You know, MLS is pulling from a centralized pool of money. Uh, you know, so it doesn't put as much strain on people like Jay Sugarman, um, you know, to prop everything up. But uh, I'd have to check more on iStar, too. It'd be interesting, too, because iStar is, you know, is, is in housing. His money is in the housing market. And uh, we all know what happened when the housing market collapsed in 2008, right right as he purchased the team. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of that is dependent on uh, – whether that bubble bursts or whether it stays the same. I don't know. It's hard to say, you know, like if you go on Zillow right now, uh, for example, there's not a lot of listings on there because I think people are kind of like wary. They don't really know what the hell is happening right now. So they don't want to put their houses up for sale because they're just going to sit there for like 30, 40, 50 days because people probably aren't buying during a pandemic. You can't even go tour a house or visit a house or go inside with an agent or whatever. So, you know, people are kind of hesitant to put things up there at the same time. I don't know what that does for housing. I don't know what that does for development for iStar, but uh, it's a good question. Yeah, I mean, like if they come out of this financially and they're looking at their portfolio a lot differently, do they call, give Kevin Durant a call back and say, hey, why don't you come in now? You know, or, or maybe Richie Graham takes a bigger step up. I'm not sure. Um, all right, last one. John Turley says, what union player do you think comes back 15 pounds heavier after the lockdown? <laughs> Uh, which union player comes back? Oh my God, it's got to be Elsinia, right? Wouldn't that be a shame if Elsinia came back fifty pounds, fifty, fifty, fifteen pounds heavier? Because he, you know, when he came here in twenty sixteen, they were talking about his weight. His weight was a big issue. You know, he came in like plus two hundred pounds. I think they got him down like at least twenty pounds that season. So I don't even know what he was at this year or last year when when he was having the great year. So. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully he's following. Not not to single him out, but ho hopefully he's following the Zoom training regimen and not um, chowing down on the on the Dunkin' Donuts in quarantine. But I also think too, it's interesting if you think about guys who are near the end of their career. I mean, if you are thirty six or thirty seven years old or something like that, and you uh, you thought this may be your last season perhaps before retirement, like I mean, does that change any plans for you? Do you try to come back and play another year? Uh, is this a mulligan? Does this hurt you? Does this help you? 
not really sure. A lot of stuff to uh, to think about there. All right, well, we're going to wrap it up. We have gone long enough. Hopefully everybody appreciated the interview with Simon. We just tried to hit on a bunch of random topics and do something enjoyable for everybody. Uh, stay the course, stay strong, and uh, hopefully we'll have soccer back at some point here.